Well, I appreciate it. First Peter chapter number three, if you'll be turning in your Bibles. I want to say, first of all, thank you guys, certainly to Dale and to Paul, who heads up everything, and Larry and Sylvia, you have no idea the countless hours that those guys put in around here, the amount of work. You may have an idea if you're around here much, you probably do, but they absolutely live their life. Yeah, that's fair. They, they live their life as examples, um, testimonies. They're people you can follow, I promise you that. If you want a life, if you want an example like the Apostle Paul, somebody you can follow, you can follow those guys. They put a lot of work into Wednesday night. And I want to say thank you to all of you that stepped up and helped on Wednesday night. Some of you came here to help. Some of you came planning to look, be helped. And some of you came here with no idea you were going to be helping. But we had no idea that many people were coming. Amen. If you were there, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. When security shuts the doors of the gym and says, can't nobody else get in this building, you know you got some folks in the house. Amen. Um, I promise. I promise, Shannon. I promise it was an accident. We've done popcorn for years. I promise I got recruited to drive. I did not throw y'all into that fire. I had no idea there'd be that many people in that house. I appreciate everybody stepping up and doing what needed to be done. Thank you for your work and all that was there. Um, I want to say thank you to visitors, you guys here this morning. I know I didn't get to meet anybody out front this morning. I was in the back getting ready for the baptism. If you are a visitor, there should be a card in front of you. It's got a, a connect card in there. I appreciate if you take and fill that out. If you got time after the service, I'd love to get a chance to meet you since I didn't get to beforehand. But if you don't have time, understand there's a black box. It's just faith, an offering box. If you just put that connect card, faith members, if you got a prayer request you need to add, if you just stick it in there as well, write it on that connect card so, so that we would have it. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Also, I guess you probably all got the announcement that we're not doing the luncheon today, our fifth Sunday luncheon after church. We, we did the, the dinner, the luncheon, dinner, judgment journey. So we just kind of called that our fellowship. It was a great night. It was a great evening. I appreciate you being there. Um, but we won't be doing a luncheon today um, but because of that. And then one final on judgment journey. Some have asked. I will tell you there were piles of people here on Wednesday night that asked about judgment journey. Wish you guys do Judgment Journey again. Are you ever going to do it again? Bring it back. There were some that had heard, hey, I heard you guys are bringing back Judgment Journey. But there was, there was a lot of questions, a lot of people on this campus. To be honest, if you were here and you saw that parking lot, it looked like the days of old. It looked like that Judgment Journey days before there was online ticket sales. And the lines were five people wide across the front of the gym, up the hill, and all the way down the road. And so many people in the parking lot, you know they're not getting in that building. But, but that reminded me of the days, you know, I was... I was told that this will be the 24th year. I've not verified that, but I assume it came from a reliable source. It's the 24th year that we'll be doing Judgment Journey after some, some time off. I guess it's a little ironic that we come back in 24. Um, we'll, we'll look a little bit more in a minute, but there will be a formal announcement from the church come out on Tuesday. I know some of you guys have asked, hey, when are we going to let the public know? Tuesday, Faith will be putting together our formal announcement to, to let them know um, that Judgment Journey will be coming in the fall of 24. I would ask you guys to take everything that we put out and share it. I'm not trying to bridle you and say don't say things. That's all. Well, I'm just telling you that we will have a formal announcement. And sometime soon thereafter, we're working on the best way to reach back to the public that, that said, hey, would you please? How can we help? What do you do? We're working on the best way to put a follow-up announcement that says here's how you can help. Because what we need is, is one of several things. You can slice it how you want. I don't know if we need 750,000 people to give a dollar or, or 750 people to give a thousand or 7,500 to, to give a hundred dollars. I don't care how you slice it up. 
We need a lot of money, and we're going to put back to the public. So when you see those things come out, I know I won't share them because I probably may not even see them. I do have those, but I don't know how to get on them, nor do I know how to share them. And there's no telling what I would actually post. So I promise it's safer if I just leave that up to you guys that know how to do it. But I'm asking you to take the announcement and share it and put it out as we look ahead with some great expectations as to what God is going to do. Um, that, that was the church that did Judgment Journey. This is the church that's going to do Judgment Journey. It'll be new. This is the dedicated group. You're the ones that prayed. You're the ones that sought God. You're the one that, that sought wisdom and direction. You're the one that said, I'm here for it, Lord. Here am I. Use me. God said, he asked the question, whom shall I send? You responded, here am I, Lord. Send me. So I'm excited. I'm excited. But there's a lot to be done between now and then. We spent a few weeks looking at the subject of Nehemiah. I don't think that's an accident. I think God was preparing us then for a work that he had in store for some things that he was going to show us through prayer. This morning, we're going to spend a little bit of time again visiting some of those verses about Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the wall. But, but the, one of the things that I really want to see this, this morning that is going to become the, the greatest focal point, this will be the most important part of the church, the most important part of the life of the church, the most important part of the ministries that the church will do, but it's called one accord. It's called being of one mind. It's called being together in, in one spirit. So, so for 10 months now, we've been reading the Bible through together in a year. We're narrowing it down. Anybody excited? Got a little bit left here and a whole lot over here, man. We're getting it narrowed down. And, and come December 31st, we will have completed the Bible together as a church, reading the Bible through. I'm excited about the number of people that have stayed in and finished that. We spent seven weeks praying for judgment journey, seeking God's direction, seeking God's wisdom. What is it that, that God wants us to do? I will tell you, <coughs> the numbers that were sent out to you would have equaled a 93% yes vote. There's some importance in that number. So when we got to the office, some people had done some votes and put in the office that we didn't get, that didn't get counted. There were some people who had sent Robin some texts and myself some texts and had sent some emails. And we had a lot of other votes that came in. And I think a lot of those votes may have been especially for me. They certainly came to Robin and I and through it. But when I add in the other votes, they were all yeses and they all came out to more than 95%. I'll look at it a little bit more in a minute. But that, that well, I won't. That, that's an important number to me. I told Paul about a month ago, I know the answer. I felt like God had already revealed the answer. I did my best. I honestly thought about not even being here for two weeks so I'd keep my mouth shut because I didn't want to influence you guys in your prayer. But I felt like I knew the answer. I felt like I knew what God was going to do. And I asked God for something. Yeah, I, I get it. I have no right to ask God for anything. But when God sent the two men and told Abraham he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham, and I realize I'm not even a, a speck of a, of a seed tick. I'm not even a freckle compared to the man of Abraham, the friend of God. But Abraham bargained with God, did he not? He said, hey, if there were 50 people there, would you destroy the righteous? Would you destroy 50 righteous people because of the sins of others? And God said, no, I'll give you that. I'll give you 50. And he bargained with God. He bargained all the way down to a number of 10. So small that, that if Lot had just done his work, if Lot had just had his family, his household in order, there would have been enough people to have saved the entire city. But his house wasn't in order. He had things out. Well, I do know that God is no respecter of persons. And if God listened to him, then God will listen to you and God will listen to me. And I have one simple answer. God, I understand the size of the task. I understand the awake at night, the work that's all there. God, I, I really would, I, I want to see at least a 90% vote. 
whichever way you want to go. I said, but in all honesty, I really wanted to see 95%. I, I, I shared that. I even dared to go to 98%. But in my prayer, I, I asked God, you know, just, just show 90. What I didn't want to see is a 60-40 split. I just didn't. I wanted to see um, where we put it. And so it may not seem like much, but those other yes boats that came in late and came to me actually put the number over 95%. And all that is, I want you to see, is God will give you the desires of your heart. God, God will give you the little things. God will give you the things to assure him. And, and, and before we even get a little bit further into the message, there were 16 votes that voted no. I want to make sure you understand something. They did not vote no to this staff. They did not vote no to this church. They did not vote no to Judgment Journey. They voted yes to he's alive. There ain't nothing wrong being passionate about he's alive. Probably one of the most difficult decisions I've had in nearly 10 years as pastor of this church was taking he's alive out to be able to do that if we're going to go forward. That's extremely difficult. But, but y'all know I like the numbers, right? And this probably has nothing to do with anything, but I can live in my little world if I want to. And if this is what I think, then I get to think this way. But 16, the number 16 represents love. And I believe the fact there were 16 knows just shows how much this church loves doing he's alive. I believe it shows how much this church loves people. I believe it shows how much this church loves the lost and trying to reach them one soul at a time. So I take everything in what God has done as a positive, and I'm excited about going forward. So now that, that we have the vote, now, now that, that we have our, our marching orders, if you will, we have our vision and we have things in place, it's going to be more important than ever that we stay in one mind. That we stay in one accord. The devil, if the devil's going to tear something up, all he's got to do is create division. That's the fastest way in the world to, to tear something down. So our text this morning, 1 Peter chapter 3, I'm going to give you one verse. Verse number 8 says, finally, be ye all of one mind. I left that blank there in, in your bulletin. If you want to get your bulletin, if you're one of those that, that likes to, to keep those notes beyond, if you're not. That is the focal point that I want this morning. That, that's what I want to make sure that we leave here having understood that the Word of God tells us there to be of one mind. Having compassion one of another, love as brethren. Then he says, be pitiful. We'll look at that word in a minute. And he tells us to be courteous. So I want to look at a message this morning. And the title is simply, Prepare for the Work. God, thank you so much, Father, that we can come to you, brothers and sisters in Christ, washed in the blood that we can, God. There is a work that we can prepare for, Father. Thank you that you'd even be mindful of us, that you would hear prayers is amazing enough, that you would answer prayers is mind-boggling, that you'd be mindful and you'd give us desires of our hearts and, and answers with the little things, God, that you would touch the sick and save the lost and, and do mighty works before us, God. Thank you so much. Thank you for making us usable vessels, Father. I pray, would you give us wisdom and guidance and direction this morning as we seek to set out on this, this journey that you've put before us, God, this, this task at hand. I pray a hedge of protection around this church, God. I pray a hedge of protection around Paul Hutchins and his family, Dale Prather and his family, Larry and Sylvia and their family. God, you know the work, you know the dedication they have and the task at hand. I pray you'd put a hedge about them and their families, God. I pray, Lord, would you be in the midst. I pray you'd help us to be pleasing to you in everything that we do in this place on this day and every day. We love you, God. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, 
Amen. So the first thing that, that we got to focus on, as I mentioned, is being in one accord. When the Apostle Paul wrote his letter to the church at Philippi, he said some things about it. He said, begin chapter 2, verse number 1, if there be any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, that word bowels there, y'all think about what I think about? That's not what that's talking about. Obviously, y'all don't think about what I'm thinking about, but I'm sorry. My, my mind. So, so, so what he's talking about is sympathy. It, that, that is being tender-hearted, sympathetic towards the lost, tender-hearted toward those that are lost and on their way. If there be any mercies, he says, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. He says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also at the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which also is in Christ Jesus. I want to, if you could, drop down to verse number 13. It is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Just a reminder, this ain't about us, right? This is to will and to do his good pleasure. He says, do all things without murmurings and disputing. That was written especially to the Baptist church. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God. Isn't it awesome to be called that? Isn't it awesome that you bear the title, I am a child of the living God? Is that not awesome? To even be able to bear such a name, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. That was clearly written to America. But then he says, among whom ye shine, you shine as lights in the world. First Corinthians chapter one, the apostle Paul said in verse number 10, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be Perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. The Bible has a lot to say to the church about being in one accord. The Bible has a lot to say about being of one mind, one body, one spirit, one likeness, one work, one together. Our text this morning said, be you of one mind, having compassion uh, as, as one another, love as brethren. Then he says, be pitiful, be courteous. That word pitiful isn't quite the way we use it in our English today. It simply means to be compassionate or to be tenderhearted. So throughout all those scriptures, the Bible is telling us to be compassionate. The bottom line, if we want to see the world change, the world needs to see the change in us. If we claim that all things are passed away, behold, all things have become new, then I can't be what I used to be. If we want the world to see us as different, we have to be different, filled with Christ. We have to be in one. One thing that the world does not have is a oneness. It, it's all about self. It's all about pride. It's all about personal gain. It's all about individual significance. That's not true for the church of the living God. The church is supposed to be about one focus, and his name is Jesus Christ. It's the salvation of the lost that we're all to be together. Gandhi said it like this. You must be the change that you wish to see in the world. If we want to see people act different, we need to be different. Do you understand that you are an influence to people? Anybody understand that? 
There are people watching you. Some you know, some you aren't. But everybody has an influence on somebody. If it's nobody but your children. If you want your children to grow up to be solid people of God, be a solid person of God. If you want your children to grow up, sold out of the things of God, then give them an example. Give them something to follow. The, the thing that's set before them, that's the things that we follow. Gandhi puts it very simple in the world. You must be the change that you wish to see in the world. There, there's a lot of titles that ran through my mind. I was studying this through the week, and I was thinking about different stuff, and I was remembering back about Nehemiah and the four weeks that we spent, and how Sambalot and Tobiah, how they came and was causing problems. And, and I thought, man, there's your title, Prepare for Sambalot. And I thought, yeah, no, that's probably not it. And so I prayed and I thought a bit more about, about prepare for the enemy. You know, we talked a lot about the enemy in those four weeks. And no, no, prepare for the battle. There, there's a battle out there. I mean, after all, just last week, we looked at Ephesians chapter 6 where Paul said, Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Verse number 13, he tells us, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So we're told to put on all of the defensive armor and you have one offensive weapon. This is it. You want to stop the world? This is it. You want to change the world? This is it. You want to reach the lost? This is it. We don't have anything else because we don't need anything else. It is the word of God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he gives us all these instructions. And then in verse number 18, he reminds us of where our strength would come from. Praying. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Watching there too with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. See, as I looked at it, preparing for the enemy isn't the right title because it's not the right message. The enemy isn't our problem. The enemy is not our focal point. That, that's not our concern. Our challenge is not to take on the enemy. God will take care of the enemy for us. My challenge is to prepare me. Your challenge is to prepare you. Washed in the blood is one thing. Saved by grace is one thing. But, but stepping into reading the word of God and spending time in prayer to be prepared to be used by God, that's another thing. That, that's a whole difference. So it is to, to prepare myself. Exodus chapter 14, remember when God had brought all the plagues and done everything to Pharaoh. And finally, Pharaoh had to let God's children go. He just couldn't take it anymore. And he set them free. And they gather up all their stuff. And they head out. And they're, they're out going. And, and they come up to the Red Sea. You know the story. If, if you don't, you can read it. I, I, just, just, just go ahead and, and start back at the beginning. For those reading the year, we've already read it at least once. But, you know, he got backed up and Pharaoh changed his mind and, and he came and he was going to annihilate all of God's people. He was going to get rid of God's children. This is what the enemy had in store for God's children. I'm going to kill them. I'm going to make them pay. I'm going to take it out on them. This is what Moses said to God's children. Exodus chapter 14, verse 13. He said unto the people, fear ye not. Stand still and see the salvation 
of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians who you've seen today, shall, you shall see them no more again forever. Then we get to chapter 14 and verse number 14. And the number 14 in the word of God always means deliverance. It always refers to deliverance. And this is God's deliverance in verse 14. The Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. That means fighting the enemy, that's not our battle. Fighting this flesh, that's my battle. Somebody go and say amen, it's Sunday, y'all wake up. Somebody knows it, it, this is a battle. I don't have to fight the enemy out there. I got one right here I fight with 24-7. Joker wakes me up at night bothering me. And then if it ain't enough that people help me by pulling out in front of me and doing stupid stuff, did I say stupid out loud? I'm sorry, the kids are going to get on to me again. I, I fight enough battles right here. All I got to do is inside. But, but, but the enemy, that, that's, that's God's business. That, that's not our concern. That, that's not where our focus has to be. Our focus has to be preparing for the work. Now, here's what I know. I know that the work we're preparing to do ain't easy. Mm -hmm. Apparently, y'all don't know all about the vision. At least two people should have said Amen. I understand raising the money to do this is 100% necessary. And I need you to understand we can't start working until we have some of it. And we need to be working day before yesterday. The road needs to already be cut in. Dozens of loads of gravel at $1,000 a piece already need to be dumped. We need the new road to be laid down, getting packed in, put it. That needs to be done already. I have no idea how to raise the money or where to start. I'm not that guy. I'm, I'm, I'm just not good at asking for money. But somebody is. Somebody in here, you know. You know how to go to corporations. You know how to go out and ask for donations. You know how to help us build that portfolio. What does it look like? Hey, you give this much, we'll do this for you. You, you give this much, we'll offer this. And, and to put things in it, there be sponsors and individuals and, and corporate. And it's really not that hard. God's got way more than 750,000 people in this country. And all you need is a dollar from each, right? So I understand that there, I'm just saying there are some challenges there that I, I don't know the answer to. I understand that everything that we're going to build back there, it's not going to be easy. I understand that taking these visions and turning them into reality is a tall order. It's a very tall task. See, I'm, I'm not sure that a lot of you even know exactly what you voted for. We tried to tell you a judgment journey, and we did a little bit of a vision reveal down here. But I'm not sure you understand the size of what it's going to take to build the, this new judgment journey. But that's okay. I didn't ask you to check into the vision, find out how difficult it is, how much work's got to be done, how hard it's going to be in a small window of time. And then you decide whether or not you think we can do it. I ask you to seek God and find out what does God want us to do. Because if God says, I want you to do it, nothing else matters. And, and, and we've sought God, and God says, come 2024, if Jesus hadn't come back, I want you doing this. And I expect to see, I expect to see thousands and thousands of souls saved. I expect to see God use us to do, to do a, a mighty work. So I understand that there, there's a lot of work to be done. But it's not just that work. It's not just the, the, the physical work that has to be done. It's the spiritual work in us. God, I told you all this. God did not tell me last year or going into this year that you're not ready because you haven't built the trail. That's not what he told me. You're not ready. You're not ready. You're not ready. You're not ready spiritually. God, see, see, God. 
God can see what I'm glad I can't see. God can see the challenges. God can see what the enemy wants to do and the things that he wants to put in. That's why it goes back to none of that's my problem. It's all about preparing self to be used mightily by God so that God can use us to reach the lost. When Nehemiah, when, when they came to him in Nehemiah 1 and he heard about the condition of the people, the Bible says that Nehemiah wept. See, that's got to be us. We've got to have a heart for the hurting people. We got to have a heart for people that are lost. We got to have a heart for people that are going to hell. It has to bother us that people are going to hell. That needs to upset us. We, we need to be bothered by the fact that salvation is available and it's not God's will that any should perish. But we have a story to tell. I know I gave you this back in Nehemiah, but I'm going to give it to you again so you got it on your nose twice. Nehemiah wept, but Nehemiah prayed, and Nehemiah fasted. Nehemiah wept because his heart was hurt by the condition of the people. He prayed in search of answers, and he fasted for the power of God. So then we see that God gave him the attention of the king, and again he prayed. As we looked at it, Nehemiah went on his journey not once. Did he ever become focused on the enemy? When he got to Jerusalem and he, he saw the people and he saw the stuff, not once did he change his focal point to the enemy. When, when he looked at the size of the task and that night he got to the gate and he couldn't even come in by the gate, the, the beast, the donkey he was on couldn't even walk through for the rubble. Not once did he get focused on the amount of debris and all the things that were going on. Nehemiah focused on God. Amen. Nehemiah focused on God and the task that God had given him to do, the task that is set before him. Now, his task was to encourage people. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6, he said, So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together until the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. I was looking at that verse this week, and I'll be honest, verse number 6, y'all ever make a sandwich with that little thin sliced ham or thin sliced turkey comes in the package. If y'all like me, that package is good for about two sandwiches. Y'all, thank you. I'm glad I ain't the only one in the house. Because if you take that and you got a piece of bread and you got a piece of bread and you put that little thing, that ain't nothing to dine off of. And I'm not into a bread sandwich. You may like them, but I, I, I want some groceries in between there. Well, see, that, that's kind of like verse 6. It's really between two big passages about the enemy. Verse number 1, it came to pass from Sambalot, Tobiah heard that we built the wall. He was wroth. He took great indignation. He mocked the Jews, and he spake before the brethren and the army of Samaria. And, and he said, what are these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? And will they sacrifice? Will, will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish which are burned? Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall break down their stone wall. So we start out with the enemy. Does Nehemiah panic? No, he doesn't. We, we see the adversary come up. He doesn't stop to deal with the enemy. He doesn't refocus his direction to the enemy. The focus stays on the task at hand. Even the people here, they don't stop to do the work. So verse number four, Nehemiah said, Hear, O our God. This is, this is Nehemiah's answer is to pray. We are despised and turn their reproach upon their own head. Give them for a prey in the land of captivity. Cover not their iniquity. Let not their sin be blotted out from before thee. For they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. Nehemiah 
took the enemy and did what everybody needs to do and handed the enemy to God. God's the only one that can control it. Then we get that little bitty piece of sandwich meat in there about how the people had a mind to work. Verse number 7 says, Then it came to pass that when Sambalot, Tobiah, and the Arabians, and the Ammonites, and the Ashadites, you notice how the enemy is growing? Do you understand? First it was just him and then Samaria. Now you throw all these others in. And when they heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. But then you get back to verse number 9. That's the key. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God. That, that's two very important phrases for us as a church. Our prayer, our God. Not the God of Israel. Not the God of Isaac and Jacob. My God, your God, our God, same God. Same God that parted the Red Sea, your God. Same God that drowned the armies of Egypt, your God. Same, same God that called Lazarus out of the tomb, your God, our God. He said, we, we made our prayer unto our God, and we set watch against them day and night because of them. Now, in spite of Nehemiah's prayer, the people became momentarily distracted. They began to look at the size of the work. They began to see the debris. They began to see the stuff. In verse number 10, Judah said that the strength of the bears of the burdens is decayed, and there's much rubbish so that we're not able to build the wall. See, that's all the enemy had to do. All the enemy had to do was to get them to take their eyes off of God and begin to focus on the task. Take their eyes off of the goodness of God and focus on the problems of the enemy. All he had to do was just create some kind of distraction to get people to lose their focus. Can I say that's not that hard to do? I mean, I lose mine between the den and the refrigerator because I forget why I'm going in there. Unless it's for an extra piece of sandwich meat, I remember that. You know, I told them like that thing I read last week about the elder couple. We're in a hurry. We're speeding to get where we're going before we forget where we're going. That, that, that's kind of me. You, you focus. Y'all ever focus? You're focused. You go to town to get something because you're focused on it and you get there and forget it. See, I'm, I'm not that hard for the enemy to deceive. So, so you got to keep your focal point. The only way to keep a focal point on the things of God is to stay involved in the things of God. To stay involved in prayer, to stay involved in reading. And, and so it, it's about keeping the focal point. It, it, it's not hard for the enemy to distract us. That's why it's so important to pray. Oh, it's so quiet up in here. It is so important to pray because prayer is simply communication with the one that will keep us focused. Prayer is simply communication with the one that will keep us united. Prayer is simply communication with the one that will keep us empowered. Prayer is the absolute necessity. If we look back, Nehemiah chapter 2, he, he brought a vision to the people. The people had an opportunity to get involved, and the people made a choice to build the wall. They didn't have to. We just say they sought God. You sought God. You didn't have to build a wall. You didn't have to sacrifice your time. You didn't have to volunteer. You, you chose to seek God's will, and you chose to vote according to what you believe God wants you to do. The people, they, they made a choice to build the wall. See, God uses people, and God's using you. He's not going to use you. He is using you. God uses you every day. He uses you at school. He uses you in your neighborhood. He uses you at work. He uses you around your family. 
If we let God direct our lives, God uses because God uses people. Now, I've, I've said this before, and I, I believe it's true. I believe it's true a lot in the church. I believe pastors, staff in general, I believe we don't do a good job of offering challenges to people. Even I find in myself a lot of time, man, that's a lot of work. You know how many people are going to get involved? And man, they do so much already. They serve God. And you know what? It doesn't matter. If somebody don't want to sign up and serve in that, they just don't. It's, it's to put out opportunities. I believe we sell people. Here's what I believe with all my heart. I believe God's people want to serve God. I believe that. I believe a lot of God's people want to serve God. You just really don't know what do I do or how do I do it. Just a little bit of direction, just a little bit of something. Everybody's got things that they enjoy, things that they like. And I, I believe that God's people really want to serve. And, and I think we do God's people a, a favor as a church when you put visions out and challenges that people can sign up and become involved. See, challenges are a good thing. That, that's, for, that's for your bulletin right there. You need to put that on if you don't keep notes. Challenges are a good thing because challenges take us to the next level. See, it takes challenges to pull us out of our comfort zone, and, and the challenge lets, us, lets God take us to new places. We get very comfortable in our little spot. Y'all with me? I know where I park when I come to church. I know where I sit when I come to church. I know who I talk to when I come to church. I know where, where I go to Sunday school. I know which way I walk up the hill. I know which water fountain I go to. I know everything. I have my routine. It, 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 we, we become this, this, this focused in people. I didn't mean to mess y'all up and get all medley or nothing. It's good to be gotten out of your comfort zone. It's good to be pushed out of the I know. It's good for God. Oh, this is going to happen to somebody tomorrow morning. Just thought about it. It's coming. One of you is going to go, he did it to me. He done got me. Tomorrow morning, he's getting somebody. We know what time to get up. We know what time to leave the house, and we know which way to go to work. But that may not be the way God wants you to go. Because there may be somebody, another way to work that needs help. There may be something tragic happen if you go that way, and God has a new way that he wants to work. I don't know what it is. But we're so set in our routines. I know which way to go to come here. I know which way to go home. And I go on what I know. What if God wants me to do something different? See, that, that, that's what we've got to get to, out of our comfort zones, out, out of that normal routine, and to be what God wants us to be. So Nehemiah, he challenged the people. He offered them this challenge, and they responded. So what should have taken years, they built in 52 days. That is absolutely, physically impossible to do what they did. But it boils down to one thing. The people bought into the vision, and the people had a mind to work. And God used the people to do what was impossible. So, so what we need to do here as the family of faith is, is each one of us, we just need to do our part. You just need to do your part. Everybody get a little sign-up card when you come in? Everybody got, anybody don't have a sign-up card? There should be some in the foyer. That's, the, that's a sign-up for, for a judgment journey. It's got a place on their circle. I don't know your talents, but it, it may not be your talent. It may be your desire. Maybe what God puts me, but you got a card. I'm just asking you to look at that card. I'm asking you, really, I'd love it if you'd circle today. Sign up for Judgment Journey today. Circle where, you, where you'd like to be and let us go ahead and start putting some groups together and just drop it in that offering box out there in the foyer. Just put it in. If you go, you know what, I need a little bit of time to pray, then pray about it and drop it in there Wednesday night. 
when you're here at church on Wednesday night? Okay, if you didn't make Wednesday night and you missed it, you can bring it next Sunday. But, but I, I want you to fill that out because everybody's got, everybody's got their own talents. Everybody's got their own abilities. And everybody's got the way that, that, that they want to serve God. Albert Einstein. He said, everybody is a genius. Oh, I feel better about myself already. Y'all like that? Did you know you were a genius? I already know you are because you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You are hand-created by God Almighty to be you. You're no accident. You didn't just find your way here. God put you here. God designed you exactly like you are. He's allowed troubles and trials and challenges along the way to shape you. Everything in your past was to shape you into today. Everything in today is to shape us into tomorrow. We, we, we are a process in the hand of God. You're a genius. Oh, I like that. And that was a genius that said it, so it has to be true, right? But, but I like what else he says. If you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it's going to live its whole life believing that it's stupid. Listen, just because you may not have business to do things, you got your part. Just because you can't go down there and, and build some of the tunnels, you got your part. Just because you may not can operate equipment or build a road, you got your part. Just because you may not can physically build these transportation vehicles that we're looking to build, you've got your part. Everybody's got our part, and our job is simply to do our part. George Bernard Shaw, he said, a life spent making mistakes is not only more honorable, but more useful than a life spent doing nothing. A life doing nothing is just void and useless. He says it is better to make mistakes and more honorable to make mistakes. Paul Hutchins says it all the time. Failure is an option. I promise you there's going to be lots of that over the next 12 months. We're going to build stuff. We ain't going to like it. We're going to tear it down. No, you're not. Oh, I promise. If you've been to Easter play practice, y'all know Paul Hutchins. We come in here on Sunday and we practice something brand new, different than what we did last week. And we practice it in the end of practice. He goes, yeah, that didn't really taste good. So next week we do it all different. And I mean, up until the, he's live will be on Friday night and the Sunday before going into the final dress rehearsal. We're changing stuff. Sure. Amen. And the sound and lighting crew says, glory to God, y'all have no idea. So he's got a whole year to do this to us. We're, we're all going to look like Dale Bosso. I ain't going to have no hair. Be plucked out, pulled out. So, so reality, failure is an option. But it can't be a destination. It's just a bump in the road. What, who, what, one of them, what, what, Graham Bell said, I, if they, the, the story says that he failed 10,000 times trying, trying. No, 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 no. It was the light bulb. Edison, right? Am I right? Somebody help me out. Y'all not been out of school a long time. 10,000 times they couldn't make a light bulb. And he said, I have not failed 10,000 times. I have successfully eliminated 10,000 ways to not make a light bulb. So now that Paul knows that, I don't know how many times we're going to have to tear it down and rebuild it. But, but, but I do know one thing. Failure is an option. And, and we can make mistakes, but it can't be the, de the, the destination. We, we just get up and, and we move on. Uh, another title that, that I thought about this morning as I'm looking at a promise, the end of the closing part of the message and focusing back on the things of God and the power of God and the gift of God. One of the things that I thought about being a title was, was just go a little further. Just, just go just a little further. We're going to get tired. We're going to get hungry. We're going to get thirsty. Things are going to go, just, just go a little further. Just, just, just don't quit. Just Sign up for another work day. I realize you can't be here every day. I'm not here every day. 
Dale and Paul and Sylvia and Larry, they're here every day. Now, I'm not asking you to be here every weekend. But some days there's going to be some sign-up sheets go out for the weekend that we need some weekend work done. Just be here on some of them. Just, just be here when you can. Be, be, be here and do our part. Everybody has got to have a part. But, but the title I thought about, just, just go just a little further because we, we have a vision. The vote is in. The, the vision is there. And we're all part of the vision. We're, we're all part of what God's going to do. And I fully understand the size and the difficulty of the task. I, I promise you I do. But I also know that no matter how difficult it is, no matter what we do, it's worth it because I know who we're doing it for. That's who we sought. That's who we prayed to. That's who we sang about. I know who we're working for. And I know he don't ever quit. See, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, God gave them some clear and specific instructions. Leave that one fruit alone. All the fruit of the garden you can have, everything you see, of all the beauty of everything that's there, leave the one alone. And they were just like me. They ate the one they couldn't have. I'm just glad they did it before I came along and messed it up. Because I would have. Everything would have been perfect until it got to me. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I'd have been the one. I'm just glad they went ahead and dropped the ball to start with. God could have given up on, on all of mankind then and not have had to put up with knuckleheads like me that come along later. He wouldn't have had to put up with man. He could have just stopped, but he didn't. He went a little further. You get over into Genesis chapter 6, and, and the sins of man is so desperately wicked and thoughts of evil continually. The man is so wicked that God was going to destroy man. He didn't have to preserve Noah and his family. He didn't have to save eight people. He didn't have to serve a remnant. He chose to because God just went a little further. The triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He could have sat in all of glory and let man destroy themselves and the world probably. And it wouldn't have taken long. But, but he didn't. He went a little further. Jesus stepped down off of his throne, seated at the right hand of the Father. And he walked down streets of gold past the crystal sea. And he came up on those giant gates of pearl. And he could have shut that gate forever and let nobody in, but he didn't. He went a little further. He came down from the pinnacle of glory to the town of Bethlehem. He stepped out of the bosom of the Father and he walked into the womb of the virgin. But that wasn't enough. So he went a little further. He went from Bethlehem of Judea to Egypt and from Egypt to Nazareth and from Nazareth to Capernaum. But it wasn't enough. He wasn't done. So he went a little further. He came and he walked on this earth as the only begotten son of the living God. He walked on the earth that he himself created as a stranger in this land with no place to lay his head. That's what he said. He had no home in this world, no place in the very world that he created. He came to this world and he could have stopped then, but it wasn't enough. So he went a little further. He was rejected by the very ones that he came to save. He could have just handed it all over to God and stopped then, but he didn't. He went a little further. He went on to Gethsemane where he prayed in the garden. And he told us then in that garden when he talked to Peter that night that he could have called 12 legions of angels and annihilated all of mankind, but he didn't because he wasn't finished. So he went a little further. He went to Calvary came to the point of death he could have stopped there he could have called upon the father 
He could have answered the arrogant Pharisee's request and come down off that cross and save himself. He could have, but he didn't. He chose to die, and he chose to be placed in, in this borrowed tomb because he went a little further. He could have left that old beaten, battered body in Joseph's tomb. He didn't need that body. Y'all understand that? He doesn't need that body to be God. He doesn't need it bruised and beaten and battered with scars. He didn't need it. He could have just left it there and gone in the spirit back to the Father and washed his hands. But, but he didn't. He went a little further. He could have walked out of the grave and, and, and just stopped there. I mean, the tomb's empty. He, he would have been victorious over the grave at, at that point, but, but he didn't. The Bible tells he went a little further. Acts chapter 1, the Bible tells he descended into heaven. He told us, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm going to do what? I'm going to prepare a place and I'm going to come and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. That's what he told us he was going to do. And the two men in white apparel in Acts chapter 1 asked the men of Galilee, Why stand you gazing up into the heaven? This same Jesus, which you've seen taken up before you, shall so come again in like manner. So he, so he could have stopped, but he didn't. He went a little further. Because he's going to prepare a place for us, he's coming again to get us. See, he could have stopped at any time, but he didn't. The scriptures tell us there was times when he was tired, but he didn't stop when he was tired. He went a little further. The scripture says, speaking of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he was and hungered. He got hungry, but he didn't let the hunger stop him. The Bible tells us that he got thirsty. He was so thirsty at the well that he asked the woman for a drink of water, but it really wasn't about that water. It was more about the salvation of the woman. But he said he was thirsty on the cross. He specifically said, I thirst, but he didn't let thirst stop him. There, there was times there when, when, when all the people came against him. He didn't let other people coming up against him stop him. When, when, when we look there at Calvary, the Bible tells us that there was many that mocked him. They laughed at him, made fun of him, but he didn't let their mockery stop him. He took every step necessary to save a sinner just like me. He never stopped short. He never sold me out. He never gave up on me. He just kept going a little further until he accomplished the goal and gave us victory over death, hell, and the grave. The Word of God says, Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? It has none over the child of the living God. Because Jesus never stopped short. Here's the reality. If it hadn't been anybody but me. If it hadn't been anybody but you. He would have done the same thing. He would have never stopped short. If it had only been you. If everybody else was perfect. And everybody else stayed in the garden. And everybody else did it right. And you or I are the only one that ate that fruit separated from God by sin, he would have done that just for you. Because that's how much he loves us. That's how much he cares. And, and all he wants me to do is tell other people about what he's done for me. So reality, there's a work to be done. It's going to be a lot of work. I understand that. It's going to be, be a lot of money. It's going to take a lot of time. But the hardest work is not building that stuff. The hardest work is preparing me spiritually to be used by God. The hardest work is with the one in the mirror every day that we look in 
how can I prepare me to be used by God? Read the book. Spend time in prayer. Be in one accord. Listen, somebody comes to you and has anything negative to say about anybody in this church or about this church, it's up to you to stop that. Hey, you want to feel you you want to dwindle in the devil's closet? Go climb in. You want to sit in the den with the devil? World Series is being played and the Braves ain't in it. Go sit down and watch it with him. But if you're going to talk about children of God around me, you're talking to the wrong one. I promise you, it didn't take me long to learn. If you won't dabble in it with them and let them know you don't approve of it, you won't have to stop them from talking to you. They won't come to you no more. If you let them know I'm not going to gossip with you, I'm not going to tear down a brother and sister in Christ with you, I'm not going to talk about someone else with you. I'm not going to dabble in the things of the world with you. If you let them know that, they won't bother you. It won't take long till they'll, they'll stop calling. But they'll find somebody. Facebook's out there. They, they're going to find somebody. Just don't let it be you. We, we've got a, we got a focus right here. We got a job to do. We got a job to do. If Jesus comes back before next October and we don't do judgment journey, what's that got to do with us? Praise God, right? The unfortunate side of that is the thousands of souls will be left behind and, and go to hell. But the bottom line, when Jesus comes, that's not on us. The only thing that's on us is to be found on the day that he comes, that we're working. That we're working towards being faithful, doing everything that, that God would have us to do. Band, you guys come on up. Y'all come on up if you would. Right now, I believe with all my heart, I believe right now that we are doing some things as a church. I truly believe we're doing some things that, that God loves and the enemy hates. We're reading the Bible through together. God loves that. Devil hates that. We spent seven weeks up till now praying, which, by the way, let me, let me put it out. Let me put it out. We, um, that, that prayer team that, that prayed for the seven weeks, it was a 24-hour-a-day prayer. On every hour on the hour. That somebody in that group had that hour. And it was in their phone to buzz. Y'all ready? Y'all with me? Raise your hand if you're with me. I'm done. I'm just giving the band time to get up here. So every hour on the hour, somebody's phone buzzed and said, it's your hour. And for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for I guess seven weeks, somebody prayed on the hour. As soon as we voted, you know what the text was I got? Do we have to stop this? Can we keep doing what we're doing? We've got 12 months. I ain't done the math. Y'all got your phone in your hand. Somebody can do it if you want to. 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the next 365 days. That group's committed to pray. If you want to be a part of it, you need to get in that group. You can divide up the hours more. You can have multiple people praying for an hour. But if God gave us answers in seven weeks of prayer, can you imagine the power of God on something that's been prayed for every hour on the hour, 24 hours a day for 365 days? Can you imagine the power of God on that trail? For some of you, you've experienced he's alive. And you've experienced the tears on this platform. And you've experienced the power of God moving in this place. But you've never experienced. You ain't ever experienced that. 
You've never experienced a Sunday morning service here after being out there all Friday and Saturday night until the wee hours of the morning serving God. A lot of you, you've never experienced what you've got coming. This ain't just you doing something for somebody else. God's going to reward you in ways you have no idea what's coming in your world. Imagine the power of God increased if we as a church pray from now until then. Because it's not just build that. It's build this. Make me, God, a usable vessel. Does that mean look past now to October? No, it doesn't. God, use me when I stop to get gas. Use me in the store. Use me in everybody I meet in every place I go. Use me. Make me a usable vessel now. But increase me. That come October, I'll be a usable vessel. There's no doubt. The devil wants to stop us. I can go ahead and tell you now. He wants to stop you before you get started. And the devil's number one tool is discord. The devil's going to want to sow discord among the church. The devil's going to want to sow discord between you and a brother and sister in Christ. He wants to start, he can start with just two people. And two people that, that become talking with this one, that become talking, it can become two groups fast. Anybody say amen? So, so the devil knows what he's doing. He understands why it's important that we, that we safeguard our, our, ourselves. And see, there's absolutely nothing that the enemy can do unless God allows it. So if we, we spend time in prayer, God is only going to allow something that's going to make us sharper, that's going to that's make us better. I, I got you, you got you one more for your bulletin. I know I've given it to you before. But if God brought us to here, God will take us through here. He didn't bring us to here to leave us. He didn't bring us to a vote to not turn around and do something and accomplish something. God's got something great in store. I got a text this morning. From Brother Bob Martin, I know y'all probably don't know Bob Martin, but he's a, a big piece of, of the Lighthouse Children Homes with us. He's been in it for years, and he does a lot of Bible colleges and pastoral training, a lot of things. He does a lot of revival. I got a text from him this morning that simply said, hey, will you pray, will you pray for us this morning? I'm starting a revival today, and the devil is already at work. I couldn't help but one response. If the devil is at work already, it's because he fears what God is about to do. The devil will only come against you hard when he's afraid of what God's about to do in you and through you. And I have no doubt God's expecting to do a great work. Amen. I, I asked you, the message was about happiness a few weeks ago, and I, and I really am done. I put my Bible right there. I really am done. But I, I asked one simple question. How, how many of you just in this life, how many of you just want to be happy? See, that's God's desire. I understand the promise of eternity. I get it. I'm very excited about the promise of my eternity. I'm very excited about the joy that is set before me. But I don't have to wait as a child of God to get to heaven to be happy. Is God's will that I be happy now? Is, is God's will that I be joyful in this life? Millionaire has nothing to do with it. It doesn't come, happiness doesn't come from money. If you know how to use it, it certainly helps. So I've heard. Listen, it, it, it's, all, it's all about just being joyful. It's about being children of God. There, there is no greater joy in this life than serving God. None. Anybody here tried a lot of them besides me? None of them brought anything but temporary satisfaction. Temporary happiness. There's no greater joy. This little Chinese proverb I gave you there, it says happiness isn't something that's achieved. It's a skill that is cultivated and practiced daily. Its mastery comes from serving others. I know that's a Chinese proverb, and I'm not on their fan list. 
But it's exactly what Jesus said. Am I not one among you who came to serve others? It's exactly what Jesus showed us. You want to be happy? Just serve others. Let me use you to make a difference in somebody else's life. I want to ask you guys who would just stand where you are. You, you certainly can pray where you are. You can come and pray. If you come and pray, I just want to, you pray for what you need to. Pray for your sick, for your family, for whatever you need. Pray for everything you got. But I want to ask you to add one. Pray for this church. Pray for a hedge of protection around this church. Pray, pray that God would use us mightily and, and that God would, would begin to build us to make us something special. But I have one question. Do you know that you know that you know that you're a born-again child of God? Are you washed in the blood? Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? If you died right now today, do you know that you'd go to heaven? Hold your hand up. Say, I know. Isn't that an awesome sight? Isn't that an awesome sight? I want to ask you to bow your head right where you are. Is there anybody in here who couldn't raise your hand? Anybody in here that couldn't raise your hand? Maybe you raised it, but you raised it out of peer pressure and not out of reality. And you've never asked Jesus Christ to save your soul. Today is your day. Today is your day. There is any time, anywhere, any place when you're willing to come to the Father and say, Father, I'm a sinner. And I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins and save my soul in Jesus' name. God is faithful to meet you where you are. You don't have to climb a mountain. You don't have to go to any great length. Jesus went a little further until he went all the way. He paid all the price, all the debt, until he washed away all your sins. You got one small step to make. Father, I am a sinner. I'm taking the one step towards you because you've taken millions toward me. I'm asking you, Father, to save my soul. In Jesus' name, I surrender my heart to you. I don't do this very often, but I feel the need to this morning. If there's anybody in this place, you ask Jesus Christ to save your soul this morning. Maybe you're on live stream. Send us a text. Shoot something on Facebook. Put something out there. Let us know. Today was your day, and you trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. But maybe you're in the building. You say, today is my day. I've asked Jesus to save my soul. You just hold your hand up high and be proud of it right where you're at. Let me look around the building. Just hold your hand up high, main floor balcony. I'm just looking around. Jesus told us, if you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you before my Father which is in heaven. I see that hand. Thank you. Anybody else in the building? Hold your hand high. Anybody else in the building?